This episode is sponsored by the Learn Jazz Standards Inner Circle. If your goal is to level up your jazz playing this year and feel confident improvising over jazz standards, the Inner Circle has everything you need and more. With monthly jazz standard studies, a library of powerful courses, and a vibrant community of like-minded musicians, you're guaranteed to improve your playing every single month. Podcast listeners can get 50% off their first month when you go to ljsinnercircle.com. That's ljsinnercircle.com or find the link in the show notes. Now, on to today's episode. Have you ever been improvising over a jazz standard and everything was going fine, but then suddenly you ran into a big, bad, scary, diminished seventh chord and you just didn't know what to do? Well, I'll be the first to raise my hand and say, yes, diminished chords have often uh, confused me when it comes to improvising. And sometimes I felt very limited with my knowledge and ability of how to improvise over them in what context they were playing. Well, on today's episode, I have a very special guest, musician, jazz guitarist, singer-songwriter, Adam Levy, to talk all about diminished theory, diminished harmony, and some tools for how to improvise over them. That's coming right up. Welcome to the LJS Podcast, where you get weekly jazz tips, interviews, stories, and advice for becoming a better jazz musician. And now your host, He's a jazz musician, author, and entrepreneur, Brent Bartstra. What's up, everybody? Brent here from LearnJazzStandards.com, which is a blog, a podcast, and videos all geared towards helping you become a better jazz musician. Excited to be here today. Like I said in the intro, we have a very special guest on the show, and that is jazz guitarist and singer-songwriter, Adam Levy from Los Angeles, California, who is just totally going to lay down the value today and tell us all about diminished harmony and how to start improvising better over diminished seventh chords. We haven't really covered this very much on the Learn Jazz Standards podcast. It is a complicated subject, and they are mysterious chords to play over top of, but Adam does a really great job of giving us a lot of great value and information on this today. I know you're going to learn a lot just as much as I did. Really quickly, a little bit about Adam Levy. He is, like I said, a jazz guitarist and a singer-songwriter. He's played with Nora Jones, with Larry Goldings, among many others. He recently came out with a new EP called Accidental Courage. It's a singer-songwriter album, so be sure to check that out. And I'll leave all of this in the show notes today at Learn Jazz standards.com forward slash episode 182 he also has some great true fire courses out there and uh, he has a little membership called the guitar tips pro for the guitar players out there you may be interested in that this was a really good conversation we spend about the first half or one third or so of the talk talking about him his career and just uh, you know we just have good time talking together and then we go into the diminished theory stuff um, for the latter half and what i want you to do while you're listening to this podcast is just imagine that you're sitting in Adam Levy's living room in Los Angeles, California. I'm sitting there too. You're sitting there. Adam's got his guitar. He's playing beautiful music, teaching us, talking to us. We're asking questions. And that's really what it feels like. And I know you're going to enjoy this. So without further ado, let's jump right in to my talk with Adam Levy. All right, welcoming on the show today is a very accomplished, fantastic musician and a fantastic guitar player from sunny Los Angeles, California, Adam Levy. Adam, thanks for being on the show today. Sure, Brent. It's great to be here. 
Uh, I'm excited for this because, of course, you are a phenomenal musician. You're a phenomenal educator. You know so much. You just have a depth of knowledge. I'm excited to learn. I know everybody else is excited to learn. We have a great topic to talk about today, uh, one that I think everybody's going to be very interested to get your take on. But before we go ahead and do that, how about we just get to know you a little bit better for those who don't know who Adam Levy is? Maybe just give a little bit of a background about who you are, what you do, and what you're all about. Sure. Um, well, I actually grew up here in Los Angeles. Um, it's You don't meet a lot of folks here uh, that started off here, but a lot of people come here. But yeah, this is my hometown. Uh, I've lived some other places. I lived in San Francisco in the 90s when there was a really great uh, jazz scene going on there. Scott Amendola was around, uh, the drummer, and Todd Sikafus, who's a bassist and composer that people may know, and Jenny Scheinman, really fantastic violinist that I played with a lot. So I was living in San Francisco. I, you know, I grew up in L.A., went to music school here uh, at a place called Dick Grove. It's not there anymore, but... Uh, that's where I, that was the place where a lot of what I know about the guitar kind of became more unified. Before that, you know, this was of course in the era before there was any kind of YouTube or whatever. So you'd learn what you could from, you know, you'd find an issue of Guitar Player magazine or maybe you'd find a jazz book. And if you were lucky, maybe you'd get to study a little bit with Ted Green, which I did get to do um, in LA. But you know, going to music school at Dick Grove was where I got to learn a more unified system of like, here's the big picture instead of just little nuggets of good stuff, but not really well connected. Then I left L.A., moved to San Francisco, as I said. I lived there for about 10 years, played a lot of jazz there and also played um, during that time with some singer songwriters. I got to record with Tracy Chapman on um, her album New Beginning, which had a single called Give Me One Reason. Um, with a long blues guitar solo on it, and that's me. Yeah. So <laughs> I've awesome. kind of a double life as a, you know, jazz has always been at the core of, of what I'm doing, but I've also always uh, appreciated, you know, contemporary songwriters. You know, I like Jerome Kern and, and Irving Berlin too, but there's, you know, people today writing great songs. So I've always tried to, um, look for opportunities to play guitar with people who are great songwriters like Tracy. And then I moved to New York uh, in the late 90s, uh, mostly, again, to play jazz. I wound up playing with Joey Barron um, and got into the kind of downtown New York improv knitting factory oh, yeah. scene. Which, nice. You know, which is why, yeah, that's why I wanted to go there. So many of the records that I was listening to uh, – while I was living on the West Coast, all seemed to be coming from this one little hot spot of, of New York. So I wanted to, to go there and be part of it. And so I did that and um, had my own groups and, and played in other people's groups. I recorded with Jenny Scheinman. I recorded with a band called Sex Mob, who yep. was on Knitting Factory Records. Um, I made a record with Joey Barron. It's pretty hard to find, but it's called Killer Joey. Oh, wow. Um yeah, with Steve Cardenas. It was me and Steve Cardenas on oh, guitar. I love Steve. I actually studied with him. Oh wow, he's the greatest. Oh, he's he is the yeah, He is so he's 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 not only a, a phenomenal musician. He's like a really great person too. <laughs> so um, yeah, yeah. And actually, I knew him when I lived in San Francisco I as was well. Ask there was you that yeah, yeah. There was a whole kind of motion of people 
that I played with in San Francisco in the nineties who subsequently wound up in New York. Um, I had played a lot in San Francisco with a drummer named Kenny Wallison, who people might know from playing with Bill Frizzell. Um, Kenny was just like my neighbor in San Francisco. So we would play jazz gigs together and he moved to New York and Steve Cardenas. I studied with a little bit in California and would go see play whenever I could. And then he moved to New York. Um, so it was kind of, it, it felt good. You know, you move to a new city, it's nice to to know people who are there and not just kind of get off the plane and <laughs> yeah. wander into Manhattan with your guitar case, looking up at the skyscrapers, <laughs> wondering what you're going to do. That's exactly what um, I did. It was pretty scary. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. Incredible. So, um, yeah, then I lived in New York, but again, you know, I was leading this kind of double life as a jazz guitarist playing at this club called Tonic, playing at the Knitting Factory and stuff. And then I happened to meet Nora Jones, who, when I met her, wasn't signed or managed or even really living in New York yet. She was still um, living uh, in Dallas or Denton, actually going to school at North Texas studying jazz piano. But she had come to New York for a summer to just hang out and do whatever you know young people do in new york in the summertime on school break and um i happened to sit next to her at a bar uh we were both going to see kenny wallison's band at the 55 bar and kenny introduced us he said oh you guys should talk you guys should make some music and um so we exchanged numbers and then that led to me uh recording with her and and touring with her and i was involved with her for her first three um albums and tour cycles and uh that led to more opportunities to to play and also got me into songwriting which i wasn't yeah. really into being a songwriter i always admired songwriters but you know you wind up doing what the people around you are doing you know you're on a bus there's lots of miles between one gig and another and um you know, people weren't sitting around on the bus, you know, transcribing, uh, you know, Clark Terry solos or whatever. They're, they're, um, uh, yeah, they're listening to songwriters and, and stuff. So I, I got into that and I started writing and stuff. You know, now I've got probably a dozen records out and half of them are songs with words that aren't particularly jazzy and then half of them are kind of more jazzy instrumental stuff. I um, I made an organ trio record a couple years ago called Town and Country mm. with Larry Golding, mm -hmm. Matt Chamberlain on drums. Um, years ago, I made a or a, another organ trio record with Larry Golding's with Kenny Wallison on drums. Um, you know, I've been in and out of Todd Sikafus's world. He's a composer, arranger, bassist. I've played on some of his records. Um and yeah and then about seven years ago i i don't know i felt like it was um, whatever i went to new york to do i had kind of done it and i decided to, to come back to my my hometown this uh, sleepy little town of los angeles and um here i am and you know i'm playing a lot of jazz gigs and playing a lot of singer songwriter gigs and doing a lot of teaching for a few years, I was the chair of the guitar department at L.A. College of Music, and uh, 
I recently uh, gave that up just because I wanted to focus more on playing and teaching and not so much administrating and stuff. But um, uh, Molly Miller took that over. She's doing an amazing job. She, I don't know if you know Molly, but oh, she's a killer player. Uh, she got her DMA from USC a couple of years ago. And um, she also has kind of a double life. She's this incredible jazz guitar player in LA, but tours a lot with Jason Mraz, mm. who's more of a pop artist. And um, I don't know, maybe that's what everybody does. I always feel like it's funny a little <laughs> bit to to be doing these different things, but um, but maybe nobody really does, you know, one thing. I don't know. Do you do you find yourself in circles outside of just jazz? Uh, well, I do. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I mean, I just even find myself. I think this actually goes into a conversation of like a professional musician and what that even means, or you know, yeah. like for you know, for example, you know, I make a, a vast majority of my living teaching music online. Um, teaching jazz, um, and and I do gigs and you know things like that too, but. Yeah, even outside the genre, sure. Yeah, I've, I've, you know, I've done the wedding gigs, I've done all that stuff, right? Mm-hmm. The, the stuff to, mm-hmm. you know, and that's it. But you know, there's only two. In my opinion, there's only two kinds of music. There's good music and there's bad music, and yeah. you know, that's it. You know, so yeah, um, yeah. You know, it's all relevant, and you know what I teach here in this podcast. We teach on LearnJazzStandards.com. We we talk about how, you know, of course, you know to learn jazz music we need to learn the repertoire we need to learn all the theory all these things but just by doing these things this is how we can learn so much about music just because there's so much mm. packed into this repertoire and it can mm. aid in our songwriting it can aid in all parts of our musical life it sounds like that's been true for you would you say that adam absolutely absolutely when i started out as a songwriter my point of reference or my points of reference weren't uh, so, I mean, you know, I, I grew up listening to a lot of Beatles, so I, I had that kind of programmed into my musical, you know, uh, whatever. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I really had grown up around my grandfather, who was a piano player, for whom the kind of tunes that you might find in the real book, for him, those were just, they were the songs. You know, if you were born yeah. in the teens or the 20s, you know, Irving Berlin wasn't some historical figure from the past. He was a contemporary songwriter. And, and uh, you know, so my when I was learning to play as a kid, um, I really hung out a lot with my grandfather, and I wanted to be able to jam with him. And he didn't know a lot of Beatles songs, so I wound up learning to play standards, you know, not necessarily to... Um, to be a bebop player, but just to just to have some repertoire that that he and I could play because we're fifty years apart in age, and I, I wanted to get in there. And then as I got into that, and and learned, you know, what these songs are made of. You know, many years later, when I became a songwriter, a lot of that stuff informed, uh, you know, that was my that was my starting point. As as I went on, I started to study. You know all the people you would think like Bob Dylan and Paul Simon and and Randy Newman and and you know people like that and Tom Waits, but a lot of what I knew about songwriting on a real kind of molecular level was the stuff that I knew from playing with my grandfather and then later when I went to music school, you know studying jazz standards and and then studying and studying and studying and studying and playing and playing and playing and 
and you know, I could, there's, I don't know if I could do it now, but there was a time when I used to back up singers, um, when I lived in San Francisco, jazz singers, and some of them would have a thick book of tunes with arrangements that they had hired somebody to like make an arrangement for them. And other people would just show up with like a piece of paper with a hundred tunes and a key. Like, Hey, I do come rain or come shine in D flat. Hey, I do bewitched, bothered and bewildered in C. And like, you just have to on the spot, be able to make up an intro, play the tune, take a solo with nobody backing you up and then play an outro and and be cohesive and all that stuff. So, yeah, that's a long-winded answer to your question. But uh, in a nutshell, yes, when I started songwriting, all of this, uh, you know, the the Great American Songbook is the stuff that I knew much more so than I knew any kind of singer songwriter uh, oof, you know. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. Well, what an amazing career. And it's so great to hear just sort of your background story and just how this all came together for you as a musician and just your musical growth and, you know, just the, you know, the, the different things that you do. And I was telling you before we got on the call, I was listening to a recording of you and Larry Goldings. You mentioned mm. that you did an album with him and it was just, oh, it was just beautiful music. Nice. Um, you know, uh, so I appreciate your music. Um so let's let's dive in a little bit with uh, with our topic for the day, which okay. is diminished theory. And <laughs> yeah, I'm 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 scared just just saying it. I'm a little scared. And maybe let's start with that. Actually, yeah. well, well, you know, this is this is something that I feel, and I, I felt this myself. I know that uh, people in my audience feel this as well. You know, all of a, you're improvising. You know, you're you're going through a tune, and all of a sudden, uh, you see this big nasty diminished chord and, and you freeze up and you don't know what to do why why is it that diminished chords have this effect on on us uh gosh well one one <laughs> thing right away is is the name like you know words like major and minor uh w- we use pretty regularly i mean if i guess if you're a baseball fan there's the major leagues and the minor leagues and you know we through the course of the day, it wouldn't be un- unusual to say those kinds of words, but you get to just diminished. It it just it's kind of like oh wait, I think some people some people aren't sure what it is. So that's one thing that's scary. They just they've maybe they've done their homework on on the major and minor chords, and they they kind of didn't do their homework on the diminished. And it's like when it comes up on a chart, it's like the teacher's calling on you to be like uh. Mr. Levy, uh, c- can you please explain the diminished chord? And you're like, oh, shoot, I, I didn't do my homework on on that thing. So that's one thing. And also, they're just built differently. You know, there's this symmetric nature that's so different. Right. Um, and, you know, there's also this kind of, you know, old-fashioned idea of, of that it's a little bit scary like this is the chord that you play when the bad guy you know ties someone to the railroad tracks or something so I think, <laughs> right so there's some psychological attachment to yeah, perhaps <laughs> yeah but it's it is dizzying when you hear this chord it if you ask somebody even you know a pretty you know a, an intermediate level musician like to sing the root of that chord they may not be able to as easily if i play this you know, somebody should be able to, to hear that and go, ah, oh, okay, yeah, that's the root, I hear that. But you play this, or this, 
and it's just confusing because because the the architecture of it is confusing. So I think all of those those things lead to people kind of <laughs> not not wanting to dive in. But but really, if if you do dive in, it's it's not really as scary as all that. Okay. Well, so let's let's go ahead and start diving in. Then let's try to make this a little bit simpler. So first of all, maybe we can talk about the different kinds of situations we would see diminished chords. Can we maybe explore that a little bit and try to demystify some of this? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, one way that diminished chords come up a lot uh, is as kind of a almost as a secondary dominant. Right. Like if you if we're in C and I just play the diatonic chords like C D minor E minor. Uh, you you know you you may know that oh well, I know you know but I say you meaning like listeners may know that you could have secondary dominance you, you could play a dominant chord to approach each of those chords. So in front of C I could put G7 in front of D minor, I could put A7. In front of E minor, I could put B7. And in front of the F, I could put C7. So that's just the five of each of those diatonic chords. But with diminished, uh, the motion is a little bit different. It tends to be leading um, by half step, uh, up, upward. So when I want to approach C, uh, I would play B diminished, and then to get to D minor, I would play C sharp diminished. And to get to E minor, I would play D sharp diminished and then E minor. And then to get to F, I'd play E diminished going to F. So that's a pretty common... Basically, those are substitutes for the, the for the secondary dominance there. Exactly, exactly. So I'm playing C sharp diminished as a substitute for A seven. They're they're very similar. They're they they have many notes in common. So yeah, exactly. So the C sharp diminished is a substitute for A seven. The D sharp diminished is a substitute for B seven, and that goes to the E minor. So exactly, yes. Yeah, and just for for those who are like wait, secondary dominance, you, you lost me there. We have done a podcast episode on that. I'll leave that in the show notes. But you know, secondary dominance essentially when you're tonicizing uh, a diatonic chord in the series. So the two chord is D minor. The secondary, if we're in C major, that is the two chord is D minor. The secondary dominant would be A seven. That's right. 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 So that's one of the most common ways. Uh, that we see diminished chords come up in tunes as approach chords. Um, so that's that's one way. Another way, and in that way, they're always going up by half step. Um, and one variation on that is sometimes you'll see a progression, like let's say we're, I'll change keys just to keep it fresh. So let's say now we're in B flat. So this is tonic, right? So you might have a tune that's in B flat and then the bridge starts on the four. It goes to E flat and then E diminished seven. So that's a sharp four diminished. And based on what we were talking about a moment ago, it would seem like that's going to want to go to five because that would be an, a, a diminished approach to five. But it's not uncommon to go four, 
sharp four diminished and then back to one but maybe with the five in the bass just because you've got that voice leading so we've got so that's another thing to look out for that happens in so many tunes um that sharp four diminished the you know four major sharp four diminished and going back to one with five in the bass so that that's a, another pretty common way right. that we see diminished chords so, and, um, and that that one you like rhythm changes would be a good example or or the blues you see that or a, a jazz blues that is you would see yeah exactly chord. yeah exactly that would be um, uh, measure six I guess right so. Uh, the, yeah, so this would be measure five, measure six. You'd have that kind of diminished chord, and it doesn't go to five. It goes to goes back to one. Right, exactly. Right. So people have encountered that in in you know if you're playing kind of hipper changes on a blues. Yeah, exactly. So just to cover, so there, I think we just went over three different situations diminished chords were in. So maybe if we could just list those out really quick, just so everybody's very clear on that. Okay. Um, well, okay, so I'll go in reverse order just since this will be the freshest in our memory. Sure. Uh, a common one uh, is going from four to sharp four diminished mm -hmm. and back to one with five in the bass. And then, uh, that, so that would be one. And the other, uh, maybe there's two more, but I, it might just be one more as a substitute for secondary for a secondary dominant. So if you have a progression that just goes C, D minor, E minor, you could go C, C sharp diminished, that gets you to the D minor, and then D minor, D sharp diminished, goes to goes to E minor. And that C sharp diminished is a, really a substitute for the A7, and the D sharp diminished is a substitute for b7 which is the five of e minor so that's really the two ways that we've talked about so far as a substitute for a secondary dominant uh and as a sort of a connective chord from four to sh to, to, to get from four back to one via this diminished chords we can go four sharp four, and i'm playing e flat major seven thinking of the key of b flat e diminished seventh and then b flat with f in the bass so those are two ways uh, it comes up. And, and there's two more that I see a lot in jazz standards. Um, and one, one of them is going down. So far, we've really been talking about going up where the diminished, the, the root of the diminished moves up a half step either to the root of the next chord or to the five of the next chord. Um, that's what we've done so far. But we haven't talked about descending diminished chords. So a, a really common one would be the flat three diminished. And so that would be like um, if you're in the key of, uh, let's go to a new key. Let's say we're in D. So this is, this is D. So we might have a chord progression that went um, D, F sharp, minor seven. That's the three, flat three diminished so it's a way to pass from it's I, some, some people kind of would gloss over that and just go oh so it's, it's three flat three minor seven uh, to two so one three flat three two and there I just went chromatically but in a more 
old-fashioned way that's so old-fashioned that actually sounds fresh because nobody does this anymore. You could go three, <laughs> flat three diminished. So I'm going F sharp minor seven, F, uh, F diminished seven, E minor seven. So that's a beautiful sound. And um, it's nice if you have a tune that starts on the two. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, I'm blanking out now. But can you think of a jazz standard that starts on two? Uh, let's see. Uh, so, uh, let's see if I were a bell, uh, starts on two, uh-huh. but not for me's. Well, the miles changes of, but not for me starts on two. Well, that's a dominant two though. Um, yeah. uh, there, there, there's a lot of tunes that start on two. Like, They're just not coming up like, right now. <laughs> I guess satin doll is one. Yeah. Oh, uh-huh. satin doll is a great one. Yep. Yep. Um, so if you have a tune like that, that starts on two, uh, so let's say we're playing Satin Doll in D. I don't know if you ever would, would really play Satin Doll in D, but well, I like to change change keys because we all have. Yeah, it keeps it fresh. So um, so in that turnaround at the end of the first eight bars, because we want to start on two. Um, that's that's a that's a useful chord to pass from like one four dominant uh three minor seven flat three diminished yeah so that's that's useful um also like um uh what's it uh body and soul does that right it starts on two um So here's the turnaround, one, four, three minor seven, and then, uh, oh, sorry, three minor seven, there we go, yeah, that's, I actually played not what I meant to play, so let me do it one more time, one, four, three, flat three diminished, two minor seven, you know, and there's another diminished chord that some people do there which is the half step below the two, uh, which wouldn't be wrong either. Uh, that's based on what the first kind of use that we talked about. So that'd be like one, four, three, and then half step below the two with a diminished chord versus the coming down from above, you know? Yeah, no, that, that, yeah, that makes sense. And I was just even thinking all the things you are is another example of when this, this comes into play as well. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So, um, yeah, there it is. Uh, And what's so great there is that melody note isn't one of the notes of the diminished chord. It's actually a little auxiliary tone that gives it so much color. Oh, right. That's yep. That's true. Yes. Yeah. That's that's another thing that. Well, so those are the. Before I get into the auxiliary thing, um, yeah, th- yeah, those are examples. Um, yeah, l- let's name some tunes like the the kind of climbing thing. You hear that? That well, it could happen to you. You can do that. You can do the chromatic ascending diminished instead of the uh, instead of the secondary two fives to the twos, if you'd like. Exactly. Or the two and the three. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And that's probably how that song 
was composed, you know, we see a lot of stuff in, in real books and modern charts that are, have been two fived that actually started out as maybe a more diminished uh, kind of sound, you know? Or Stella by Starlight comes to mind uh, for, for that one. The first chord is a diminished chord. Exactly. Yeah. Nobody plays it that way because that's no. <laughs> not how Miles Davis played it. Um, you know, everybody plays. You know, everybody plays that as uh, E half diminished to A7. But it's really. What a lovely sound that is. Why would you, why would you modify or hip? Like, I'm not sure that E. E half diminished to A7 is, is more hipper than that. That's so beautiful. You know? There's even a move like that. It's not quite the same, but Georgia on my mind, if you really go back to the old sheet music, has a chord that's it doesn't look like diminished, but it's it's acting in a similar way. Um, so if you have like if we're in F. This chord. So it goes F, E7, so so that chord, that's the fourth use of the diminished chord, that was the one that I hadn't really got to yet, which is, uh, which is the same as in Stella by Starlight. That one diminished, if you make, let's say we're in F. And so one diminished would be F diminished seventh. But sometimes you see it come up in tunes as E7 because diminished is so closely related to dominant. Like people can't see my hands right now, but I'm on the middle four strings. I'm on strings five, four, three, and two. I'm a guitar player. I realize not everybody who's listening is a guitar player. But if you are, um, and I'm at frets eight, nine, seven, and nine. So pitches are F, B, D, and G sharp. So if you know your harmony, you know that I'm already playing three of the notes of E7. B, D, and G sharp, that's that's E7. So the only note that's kind of a little funny is the F. Uh, but you could say, well, that's E7 flat 9. I suppose you could say that. Uh, but but that's in that moment of Georgia on my mind. Most people don't play that chord there that way. They play some you know more modern harmonization of that. But that's really if you find the sheet music from 1930, that's what it says. You know, with the ukulele chords on it and all. Just an old sweet song. That's, that E7 to me, even though it says E7 on the sheet music, I think of that as as a, as a diminished thing. I mean, it's the most basic thing, even when you hear Hendrix go. Right? Nobody thinks of that as a diminished chord. They just think, oh, he played A7 a half step lower. He went to A flat 7 and back up. But to me, that's really diminished in the same way that, like, Doc Watson does that in. Um, oh, Doc Watson, and, yes. You know. Oh, you're doing it. I can't believe it. 
You know, like <laughs> Deep River Blues. I'll, I'll, Deep oh River man, Blues, I freaking right? love Doc Watson and Deep River Blues. <laughs> right. So that's the greatest. Well, you, I'm sure you can play it better than me. But but that's that's no, the, I can't. I, <laughs> that move there. That's that one diminished sound. Well, I, I'll stop there. It's too early in the morning for me to, to get my Doc oh, Watson. That, to get oh. there. But he's the Such greatest, right? Yeah, oh, he's the great. People don't know about him, but Doc Watson yeah. is just, oh my goodness. I think he passed yeah. away a few years ago or something. I can't remember. Yeah, but, maybe just of, man, life. I mean, man, he, he Doc Watson, I, I'm, I'm lucky. I mentioned earlier my grandfather. I also have an uncle who, who uh, is a guitar player, not professionally, but, you know, for been a hobby guitar player for mm-hmm. ever and he used to make me cassette tapes with like you know chet atkins on one side and doc watson on the other side and um you know merle travis and you know guys that that maybe people don't talk about so much anymore but pe- the people who used to be kind of stars you know in, in a way of the guitar and um so if anybody's listening in there you mentioned that your audience you know is from young folks to older folks, if people are in their 80s, they probably do know about Doc Watson. But, oh, sure, yeah. You know, if you're going to you know music school and you know if you're studying you know in a jazz program at a university, um, they might not talk about any any of the guys I just mentioned. You know, Doc or Chet, and um, there's so much we can learn from 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 them for sure. Oh yes, absolutely. And one more thing on top of the the one diminished, that's actually, you hear people end songs that way. You know, go one, then one diminished, and then back to one to finish off the song. I hear that all the time. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. Like, again, one of those more old-fashioned endings, but it's beautiful. It's it's just another way to think about ending a song, you know, because people, not, not everybody, you know, there's always struggle of how to end a song properly right. that, that's that, yeah. there's another one big big yeah. tip of the day <laughs> yeah yeah if you take away just one thing that that's a beautiful thing it's everybody knows five one like but how about one diminished one that's such a beautiful sound and again it's it's so it's kind of old-fashioned and that's kind of what makes it fresh uh I just thought of another tune that uses one diminished that I I used to love. Uh, Chet Baker saying um, it's called "Let's Get Lost." Mm. Let's get lost, lost in each other's arms. Yes, yeah, that's just, that's the one diminished sound. So let's uh, switch gears. I feel like we understand a little bit about the harmony and the different cases we would use diminished. Um, but let's switch gears a little bit to the improvisation. Like you know, I preach on this podcast. Um, you know, learning music by ear, you know, understanding the language, but diminish is a good situation where we might want to have some tools in our tool belt. Can you maybe go over a few that we can use? Sure, of course. Um, well, let's say here, uh, I'll just say E diminished. You're, you're, you're coming along on a chart and you see E diminished seventh. I, 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 I keep saying diminished most of the time in the context of a jazz standard, it's going to be a diminished seventh. It's a four-part chord. It's not just the triad. So if I say diminished in this conversation, I'm really just saying that as shorthand for diminished seventh. So sure. that's a four-part chord. So if you see that in a chart, uh, E diminished seventh is these notes. It's E, G, B flat, and C sharp or D flat, however you want to call it. 
So one thing you can do to improvise over over that chord when you see it is to just play the arpeggio. And you know that may be all you have time for anyway. A lot of times, there, there's not like so what of diminished. There's not a, t- a tune that I'm aware of that's like 16 bars of E diminished and then right. It's you know, usually a like, passing chord. Right. Right. So you only are going to have a little moment. So there's no reason not to just play the arpeggio as long as you're looking at where you're landing. The danger, as with any kind of improvisational tool, is like you go, okay, great, got it. I'm just going to go up the arpeggio or maybe I'll go down the arpeggio or maybe I'll mix it up. But you're probably not going to have time to even do that much. It's going to happen really quickly. So I would do all the things that I just did, which is to you know practice playing the diminished, going ascending, descending, and then practice mixing it up so that so that you're not stuck in you know a line that only goes up or a line that goes down, but you can have a line that goes you know different directions. But plan ahead. Like I always encourage people to write out lines like yes. on, on pencil and paper. So you know, write out. Uh, say E diminished seventh is going to be going, let's say it's going to F. That's as likely a place as any that that chord is going to go. So write out a two bar line of E diminished uh, in eighth notes that ends up, and, and if eighth notes is just too overwhelming, just do it in quarter notes, that's fine. Um, and make sure you land on a chord tone on the F chord. Because as cool as you're going to sound when you sound like you know what you're doing on the diminished chord, if you don't land it someplace that makes musical sense, um, all of that beautiful work would be pretty much for nothing. So that's why I encourage people to, to write stuff on paper. So think about the, the, the chord tones you want to land on for F. You're going to want to land on A. You know, you might want to land on C, the fifth. You might want to land on E, the seventh. So write out a bunch of lines that get you there. So let's say I'm, I want to target A. So I'm going to do uh, quarter notes on E diminished for two bars, and I'm going to land on this A for the F. So one, two, three. Simple as that. And then do 10 variations of that. Um, Try to go from different angles, but always trying to get to an approach. So that would be the first thing I would do is get to know how to play E diminished as, uh, as an arpeggio. What some of your listeners might know is like, oh, well, yeah, but then there's this diminished scale. And there's really two versions of that. There's one that goes whole step, half step, whole step, half step, whole step, half step, and and on and on like that. It's symmetrical. So there's that's the whole half, and that's the one that you use on a diminished. So if the chord is E diminished seventh, you'll start on E and go whole step, half step, 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 and so on. Um, if the if the chord were uh, if you're if you're using it to play over a dominant chord, that's kind of another thing. That's a half step, whole step. And let's leave that out because we really just should be talking about diminished. Uh, that could be another, uh, another 
whole other discussion. So whole step, half step. But what can be confusing is, um, you know, there's not a sense of gravitational pull towards one note. You kind of forget where you started. Like, was it E? Was it G? I don't even know. So I encourage you to start with arpeggios and really think about the E as your as your home base. And then start introducing, I don't know if they call it this in every school, but I think of them as auxiliary tones. You can, you can introduce a note a half step below any of those tones. So I'm gonna just do the half step below E only. And already it starts to sound more interesting. So I'm playing D sharp, E, G, B flat, C sharp, D sharp, E, G, B flat. Um, I could do just a half step below the G. So E, F sharp, G, B flat, C sharp, E, G sharp, or F sharp, G, and so on. And you could practice lines like that and go back and do the exercise I just mentioned where you're trying to make lines that ultimately resolve. Um, that should always be what you're doing, whatever harmony we're talking about. With But with diminished, it's especially true because diminished is such a head spinner that when you're in it, it's really easy to get lost. Um, you know, it's kind of uh, being like in a hall of mirrors. You kind of can't find the way that you came back in. So you more than ever, you have to be looking towards where you're going to land. But I would just start simply with diminished arpeggios, then diminished plus one auxiliary tone. You could make lines that use two auxiliary tones. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to take this E diminished arpeggio and I'm going to include uh, F sharp as an auxiliary to G. And I'm going to include C as an auxiliary to C sharp. So, uh, really starts to sound like something kind of cool that you do. And if you want your lines to go down, you can actually think of these auxiliary tones in a slightly different way, which is instead of a half step below the arpeggio tones, it can be a whole step above. So if I'm coming down, it may be useful to go a whole step above. So here's a whole step above B flat, whole step above G, whole step above E, and maybe I'll just come down some arpeggio now. Right, so you have all these tones that that give you more, it gets a little bit away from the he grabbed her and he tied her to the railroad track sound and a little bit more towards, um, you know, 1959 New York City uh, or 69 or 79 or 89 or all the way forward. But that that's when you start to hear those kinds of sounds. And then all of that and stuff. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Do you mind if I interrupt? Yeah. One thing I love about this is that essentially you're starting with the arpeggio first, yeah. and then those auxiliary tones you're talking about, those are notes in the half whole diminished scale. Or, sorry, the whole half diminished scale. Exactly. So you're basically using them backwards. And honestly, I like to think of scales that way every single time when I'm improvising. Chord tones first, then the notes in between should be in context of those chord tones. That's the way I think of it. And I think that's kind of what you're going for here. Yeah, exactly. Actually, um, Jens Larsen just did a uh, one yeah. of his recent YouTube videos. He he talks about this about the importance of chord tones first, and then the auxiliary tones are there for color and you know that that's what they're there for. So 
diminishes just even more so true because it's it's so unbalancing so so that's where i would start and and then the same i would apply that also to your chord voicings you know i saw um on your website you you talked about you know learning the the diminished voicings on the different string sets there's there's the one that uh, you know is on the top four string sets let's say we're doing g diminished now so you know you've got all these inversions on the top string sets and then you've got the middle string sets and then you've got the more spread voicing across the bottom here with all of those if you want some color try adding on the highest note is usually the place i'll do it adding a note either a whole step up or a half step below so here's b flat diminished no extra notes just those notes but if i move the top note up a whole sorry <laughs> if i move the top note up a whole step i get this sound which is a beautiful sound and and not not so um kind of victorian sounding i love that sound and you know that you could do that in any of these voicings so that's that's a low down b flat diminished i'll do a i'll do it up here um now i'm playing c sharp g b flat e and i'm moving the e up to f sharp now i'm playing uh G, C sharp, E, B flat, and I'm moving the, the B flat up to C. Now I'm just moving that around in minor thirds. And of course, you could animate it and have... And so I'm just thinking of that top note and kind of doing a, uh, what do you call it, an enclosure? Mm -hmm. Yep. So I'm kind of doing... It. Yeah, I would do... I'm just doing an enclosure on the top note of each of those diminished chords. Yeah. So that's where all the color can come from. Another thing you could do is just move the top note down a half step. beautiful so that <laughs> i'm just enjoying <laughs> listening to you play it's really dreamy <laughs> <laughs> it can give you this really dreamy kind of impressionistic sound and so i would go back to these tunes that we've talked about you know uh, stella by starlight or all the things you are and see how you could apply those kinds of um you know um so this would be like the last last phrase of uh, all the things you are if we're in a flat as most people play it so that would be like three or one first inversion and then you get this diminished chord which could be could be this sound i'm playing uh, b diminished but using the whole step above on top so that's g natural on top of diminished or it could have an e on top uh because we started with b diminished seventh and i've been saying you can go a whole step up or half step down so that's two possible chords that you could get that would be a little juicier there rather than just playing a straight up and down diminished uh, voicing 
Yeah, these are just all such beautiful ideas. Well, Adam, this has been just a lot of great information. I really uh, appreciate you just telling us all about this uh, diminished harmony, giving us some really good tips and ideas for diminished improvisation. Why don't you go ahead before we close off, just talk a little bit about your uh, guitar tips for the guitar players in the audience that that might get some help from you. Ah, sure. Yeah, I have a a website called guitartipspro.com. And uh, I have, I don't know, um, 60, 70 odd lessons up there. Now I post new content all the time, uh, instructional videos, uh, performance videos. Uh, I make playlists for people so that they can uh, learn from particular things that I think they should hear. Um, through Guitar Tips Pro, you can also uh, study with me privately. Though it's it's the main uh the main portal of it is a subscription thing where you have access to this big library and all of the new content that I'm posting uh, all the time. Awesome. And where can people find that at guitartipspro.com? Is that it? That's it. That's, that's it. It's guitartipspro.com. Awesome. So make sure to head over there if you think that's going to be of value to you. I know that, uh, I mean, you, you, you heard all of uh, Adam's stuff today, tons of value to be had. So um, definitely head on over there. We'll leave that in the, the show notes today as well. Uh, Adam, I want to thank you so much for laying down the value today. I appreciate you doing it. I've learned a lot. I know everybody has as well. Uh, we'll definitely have you on the show again in the future. Thanks so much, Brent. It's been a pleasure talking with you. And thanks for all that you do. All right, that's all for today's show. Big thanks to Adam Levy again. One of my biggest takeaways from the show today was this idea of auxiliary tones with the diminished arpeggios with the chord tones of the diminished seventh chord. And it's funny because I think about scales that way all the time. I think about uh, basically adding scales later after the chord tones and approaching chord tones that way. But that was a big one for me. For some reason, I, I never really thought about the diminished chords that way, which doesn't quite make sense. But that was my big takeaway. Hope you got something big out of today's show as well. Make sure, of course, you check out Adam Levy, and uh, we have all the, his stuff in the show notes today at learnjazzstandards.com forward slash episode 182. All right, as you know, I always ask if you got value out of the show and you get value out of this show regularly, please go to iTunes or Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and please leave a five-star rating review and let other people know why you love this show, why you like it, how it's helped you. Really do appreciate that. We have a lot of other great stuff coming up on this podcast. We are going to be uh, approaching a season of doing some blues, uh, some jazz blues stuff in the future as uh, my Jazz Blues Accelerator course is looming on the future. So keep listening. That's going to be coming up eventually here. Uh, But we'll have some more great stuff coming on for you next week, and I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the LJS Podcast, brought to you by LearnJazzStandards.com. Subscribe to the series on iTunes, and don't forget to join our jazz community at LearnJazzStandards.com forward slash newsletter. Hey, podcast listener, would you like to ask me a jazz question and get it answered here on the show? Then go to learnjazzstandards.com forward slash ask. That's learnjazzstandards.com forward slash ask. 
I look forward to hearing your question and answering it on a future podcast episode. LearnJazzStandards.com forward slash ask or find the link in today's show notes.